You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies Gentlemen, thanks for tuning in to AOA today. We've got a lot coming on today's program because there is a lot coming in agriculture. As we push deeper into summer, the weather markets along the grain commodities are starting to fire. And we'll check in with Darren Newsom, senior analyst of Bar Chart, here in just a moment. And in segment two, we're going to dive deeper into that weather outlook. John Baranek of DTN Weather will be joining us. We'll talk about what the Southern Plains could expect with the storm system and who is watching for continued dryness and heat as this week goes on. In segment three, Peter Orwick of the American Sheep Industry Association is going to join us. We haven't spoken much about the sheep sector of the protein industry. Peter will fill us in on how things look for both lambs and wool. Before we dive into all of that, however, let's get a read on these commodity markets. At the tail end of this past week, we had the USDA release their World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates. Darren Newsom, Senior Analyst at Bar Chart, joins us now. And Darren, you uh, had a chance to look over those uh, WASDI numbers? <laughs> yes, I, I, I spent all kinds of time looking over these numbers. In all honesty, no. I mean, I did a quick glance. Uh, really, on, on the domestic side, there, were, there was no changes. I mean, there was there was no surprises, uh, you know, as far as production and acreage and all that for new crop was left unchanged. Demand really wasn't changed for 2023-24 for both corn and beans. Uh, we did see some, you know, we did see both uh, corn and soybeans for old crop uh, exports cut a little bit. Again, no surprise there based on, you know, the paces that we're seeing uh for, for you know in both markets uh exports are down jimmy shipments are down uh total sales are down so you know there's just there wasn't any surprise on the domestic side on the on the global side you know both uh russia and uh ukraine are supposed to see larger uh, they saw increased production estimates for both corn and, and wheat uh, I <laughs> will see what happens. I don't think you can, I don't think you can bank on that too much. Uh, but that was, you know, that was the story. Uh, and other than that, there just really wasn't much, just really wasn't much to, you know, to hang your hat on with this, uh, with this particular set of numbers. No, there really wasn't. I'm glad you mentioned the export cut there in the old crop corn and soy. Uh, Darren, you've been talking about this dismal export pace mm -hmm. on the corn side for some time. H have we cut all that we're going to cut from the export market. Do you think most of the sales we've got left on the books will, will happen? I, th I think most of the sales that we have on the books will get shipped. But the problem is we've only got 1.5 uh, billion bushels of total sales on the books right now. And it projects, you know, what our shipments were as of, I believe, what would that have been uh, June? What was that? Uh, June 1st. Uh, we, you know, only, you know, 1.65 billion bushels is the pace that we're projected on right now. And so, you know, that's 30% below where we were last year at the same time and total sales are down 36%. So I do think we will ship what we've got sold. The problem is, are we going to sell much more? Uh, that's where, that's where things are going to get tricky. We're going to have to see more sales start to come on. Or, I mean, this, this number is just going to continue to come down. Darren, it's harder to get more sales on the books when we see the price climbing. Old crop corn today up 13, 14 cents. New crop up 13. It seems like with this report now behind us, the focus is the weather, isn't it? Focus is the weather. You know, that's where new crop comes into play. As for old crop, you know, it tells us that, you know, we've still got a tight supply situation. That's that's part of the problem about making new sales is supplies are tight. We'll see how much uh, comes loose out of, you know, leftover 2022 production comes loose out of on-farm storage uh, over the coming months. But right now, you know, we're still in a relatively tight situation. But as we look ahead to new crop, yeah, I mean, you know, the attention's on weather. Uh, if we look at, uh, you know, we look at soil moisture readings, we're still in a deficit situation, much drier than we were a year ago. We did see some uh, precipitation accumulation over the weekend. We saw cooler temperatures, uh, but I don't know that it changed the overall situation all that much. So, you know, we're, we're heading into summer, at least we're making our way through the early summer, still showing again, soil moisture deficits. And I think that's really got the attention of the markets at this point. Darren, we're now three, four weeks into this developing weather market across the central part of the U.S. Uh, looking at the CFTC numbers, is the narrative beginning to pull back in that managed money to the commodity side? Uh, 
It's, it's an interesting way of asking the question, Mike. I like that. We're not. What, what's interesting to me is that in corn, where they were, where non-commercials were holding such a large net short position, we're not seeing new buying. We're seeing short covering, and to me, that's a, it's a big distinction. If we were seeing new buying, say like what we're seeing in soybeans, that's one thing. That's more bullish. But where it's just short covering, again, it's not telling us that these that these funds are getting overly bullish. The corn market, at least not yet. They're still holding a net short. They're still covering that by by covering actual short positions rather than buying. So, you know, I, I think it, I think it's important to, you know, that we're not seeing a great deal of money flowing into commodities, at least not yet. Uh, this still has that asterisk out by it, by this rally saying, you know, it may not hold all that well if we see demand continuing to slow and the funds aren't really willing to buy. But I mean, the door is, I mean, I mean, the possibility is there that we could see, uh, we could see increased buying interest over the coming weeks. All right, Darren, we've got this weather market developing. We've also got some more interesting or other interesting macroeconomic factors this week. We've got the Fed having mm -hmm. their meeting midweek. We've got CPI inflation data coming out tomorrow. Any outside market risks you're watching uh, in the context of grain? Uh, you know, this is all, you know, these are all market risks, uh, you know, because they were certainly going to keep an eye on, on what's going on with the dollar. I still see the dollar in the long term downtrend, uh, but the the Fed fund futures forward curve, always fun, always difficult to say, is now has backed off a possible decrease in interest rates back to September. Now, it was in July. They've backed it back to September, just looking at that forward curve. So, you know, again, Looking at what the FOMC could announce on Wednesday, possibly another 25 basis point increase. This could spark a rally in the dollar. If so, theoretically, it could put some pressure on some of these key commodities that have been, you know, that, that rely on non-commercial buying at this point. So, I mean, it will be something to watch uh, from a macro point of view. Certainly going to keep things interesting this week. Another interesting market, Darren, remains the cattle market. Well, mm. so far, early trade, we're up 50, 60 cents here to start the week. I imagine cash trade was higher last week. Yeah, yeah, you know, and you know, cash trade was firm, but the story continues to be boxed beef. And you, know, you asked me about some of these macro indicators, and to me, boxed beef is still about as good of economic indicators we're going to see. So are we, should we expect uh, inflation to be still running you know, above normal where it was last year? Absolutely. Because we've seen, we've seen a huge jump in boxed beef you know, over the course of you know, the last number of months. And then last Friday, we saw choice come in at almost at uh, 333. Uh, we saw select almost at 306. I mean, we've got a big spread between the two. Nobody's backing away from the higher priced cuts of beef. Uh, these markets are just on a tear. It's pulling the, you know, it's pulling some money back into both live and feeder cattle at this point. So it just seems to be finding buying from every nook and cranny, and, and it just doesn't really want to go down at this point. It sure doesn't, folks. This rally continues in the cattle complex. We'll keep an eye on it here on AOA. We'll also continue to keep you updated on what those factors are as they move the rest of these markets. We've been talking today with Darren Newsom. He serves as the senior analyst over at Bar Chart. And Darren, as always, we appreciate you joining us here on AOA. Well, thanks for having me on again this morning, Mike. And folks, stick with us. Darren mentioned several times we're in a weather market. We're going to get an update on how that market looks going forward. John Baranek of DTN Weather will join us here when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA agriculture of america don't go away more aoa coming right up on the first wednesday of every month our friends from the national corn growers association join us here on aoa for a segment we call the monthly grind this month we talked with wendy osborne of ohio corn and ralph lentz of the u.s meat export federation board wendy this partnership between grains and livestock is an important one isn't it yeah so corn growers recognize that 95% of the world's population lives outside the U.S. So trade is just so important to the U.S. farmer. And American corn farmers want to help increase demand for U.S. beef and pork around the world. That In 2021, B. 
beef and pork exports, this is just the exports, Mike, they accounted for 537 million bushels of corn usage, which equates to about $2.94 billion. Ralph, that's a huge figure. What areas around the world look hot for meat exports in 2023? Anything in Asia, Korea, Japan, China, they, they all love our corn-fed beef. That's not duplicated anywhere in the world. Pork products are moving well. They've got a taste of our red meat, and they don't like fish anymore. They're moving more than red meats. Tune in Wednesday, July 5th for the next monthly grind on AOA. This is Jesse Allen, Farmer Ranch Director for the American Ag Network. Listeners know they can depend on their favorite radio station for the latest news, weather, markets, community events, and more. In fact, AM radio is the backbone of America with 80 million people tuning in each month to listen. And in an emergency, radio is there to help keep you safe in dangerous situations. Why do you listen? Go to whyilisten.com and tell us why, and you will have a chance to win $500. Visit whyilisten.com today. At YMCA Summer Camp, kids find their why. Friendship and fun, a world of adventure beneath a golden sun. Running, laughing, full of wonder, being themselves is second nature. Summer Camp is where they begin to unlock the confidence that lies within. When kids find new passions, they find their why. Summer Camp season starts soon. Learn more at ymca.org for a better us. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference bite by bite. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. We just spoke with Darren Newsom from Bar Chart there in segment one, and he talked about the weather market that has gripped these grains. And that got me thinking about this drought and its impact. And I was on the Drought Monitor website, droughtmonitor.unl.edu, comparing different maps. And this central U.S. now spreading to the eastern U.S. drought sure is something else. Joining us for an update on the weather is John Baranek. He's the meteorologist with DTN Weather. John, we always appreciate your insight. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, and thanks for having me on again. Hopefully we can spread a little bit more insight today too. Well, let's do that, John. And to get us started, this this weather market that has developed here is, is certainly keeping the market's attention. If you could give us over the past four or five weeks, how has this drought developed? Yeah, well, we had kind of a, a stagnant pattern show up, um, you know, about a month ago or so. We got this ridge of high pressure that set up over Canada, kind of put a block in the pattern. So we didn't have a whole bunch of systems moving through the country anymore. Um, what instead we had was kind of this upper level trough over the southwestern states that at least keep the plains uh, with plenty of activity moving through and plenty of uh, uh, moisture coming off from the Gulf of Mexico. Produced some decent showers there across parts of the plains, and we saw a drought reduction there. But um, with uh, with, you know, Temperatures really rising here as we get into into the summer season, and uh, you know a lack of rainfall for weeks. Uh, we really saw dryness, drought uh, expand on that drought monitor map across you know a good portion of the Corn Belt. So we're pretty much socked in with it, and, and it's, that stagnant pattern really put us in a hole here for the start of the uh, 2023 season. So we're a little bit more hand to mouth with all the rainfall that comes from now on, unfortunately. So uh, you know the the it's 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 a situation we don't want to be in this time of year but you know if it's going to be any time of year to be dry this is it uh but uh you know we're going to need that rainfall to come in in heaps 
We are. We are. And John, what's interesting is is the the way the, the systems have been developing over the past couple of weeks. We've seen them take aim at the Southern Plains. Could you fill us in on what's happened here? Kansas, Texas, Oklahoma panhandles and what that looks like for this week. I understand they might have some more severe weather risk ahead. Yeah, they do. So, yeah, I mean, they had the, the front that went through over the weekend. I think uh, Darren talked about it. Uh, actually produced some pretty good rainfall over there in the in the southwestern uh uh, plains there and it continues here this week as well um you know we've seen you know if you look at the drought monitor map from you know a couple months ago there was red all over that area now there's areas where there's no drought at all so they've had uh some really good rainfall there across west texas up into to western kansas and colorado um some of these areas now that you know have been suffering drought for the past couple of, of years uh are now free of it and uh, so it's it's been a, a good situation to be in for, for those folks out there. Um, yeah, and you mentioned that, the, yes, there is uh, more potential here this week. We've already had some heavier rain uh, this morning, some severe weather out of it too, a little bit of hail and wind. Uh, we've got a, a couple more days of it to go as well as we've got, again, that's that upper trough across the southwest to continuing to push little pieces of energy through that area and, and, and produce some showers behind uh, the cold front that moved through over the weekend. How far north are these showers and, and isolated thunderstorms expected to spread today, John? Any chance Kansas, mid-Missouri could see some uh, shots of moisture? Kansas, yes. Missouri, no. Um, it, it's unfortunately going to be a lot out of most of the Corn Belt. Uh, it does, but it does hit Colorado and Kansas. So, and parts of western Nebraska as, as well might might get in on a little bit of it the next couple of days. But for the most part, it, it's going to stay out of the Corn Belt with anything uh, substantial which is unfortunate, um, especially for those areas that kind of got missed over the weekend. Yeah, absolutely, John. So we know that producers through Kansas, uh, eastern parts of Nebraska, western Idaho, they've been dealing with this drought condition for some time. The the stunner really is in the eastern Corn Belt, which has seen dryness and some light drought develop here over the past couple of weeks. Any chance we're going to have some moisture, some energy push through Indiana, Ohio, eastern Corn Belt locales? Yeah, we get a little bit up here, and the, the front that went through is kind of wrapping up into a system uh, across the Great Lakes, and that'll produce some little waves and areas of showers here over the next couple of days. Um, nothing, you know, groundbreaking or, or anything that, uh, that, that really eliminates any of the drought, I don't think. Uh, for the most part, it just kind of keeps the dryness from getting worse uh, up there. Um, but then, then there's another little disturbance on the tail end of everything that goes through on Thursday, um, most likely for, for Michigan than anywhere and Ohio than anywhere else. Uh, but, you know, at least some areas are going to get some rainfall here this week. And then we got another system that kind of sweeps through the country here uh, late this week and weekend to talk about as well. Um, whether or not uh, this one doesn't look to have nearly the uh, coverage uh, or intensity that we even saw over this past weekend. So it's not going to be a, a huge boon to a whole lot of areas, I don't think. Uh, but we will see, you know, more widespread showers moving across the Corn Belt, um, basically starting on, on Wednesday night across Montana, Thursday across the Plains, and then Friday through the weekend uh, for far, uh, areas farther east. Areas farther east, does that one make its way all the way to the eastern seaboard, John, do we think, or is there still too early to tell? Uh, it should. Uh, you know, mo models can't change, uh, but it does look like it's going to move all the way to the eastern seaboard. So um, uh, it, it does look like widespread precipitation for a lot of the country. Just, you know, not the kind of coverage and intensity we need to kind of stave off the worries uh, over the dryness that's been building. John, over the eastern part of the United States here for the past week or 10 days, we've heard a lot of concerns about the smoke from the Canadian wildfires. Any chance to the weather system up north? Could they be getting more moisture there across Canada? Uh, yeah, they are. So the system that's kind of wrapping up uh, here across the Great Lakes does bring them some decent rainfall there in the parts of, of Ontario and, and Quebec that uh, where those where those uh, uh, forest fires had started last week. Um, so they're, they're getting some help out of that, which is which is always a good thing. Um, but, you know, they've been dry uh, a lot, too. So it's going to take a lot of rain to really kind of decrease that uh, the threat overall. And they just don't see that much out of it to kind of eliminate that uh, that threat here going forward. All right, John, I want you to gaze into your crystal ball for us a little bit longer term, if we can. This weather market, this dryness drought situation across the Corn Belt's popped up very quickly. There have been reports that the systems might be changing soon, might see some more energy. John, as you watch the Corn Belt over the next six weeks, is there the potential for more moisture to fall or, or is this dryness maybe here to stay? 
Well, there's a lot of uncertainty in the models right now. When we were talking last week, uh, I was really encouraged because we saw kind of a ridge across the south around Texas and Mexico. We saw another one up by Hudson Bay, but we saw this kind of channel right through the Corn Belt that would allow for you know developing systems out in the west to just kind of move through. And I was really excited about it. Um, over the course of last week, though, we've really seen that uh, a change in the models where, um, and it's not every model yet, but uh, we've seen a change where that that ridge across Mexico and Texas kind of expands northward up into the Corn Belt. And that would do two things. One, it would bring more heat uh, to areas that are dry and, and don't need the, the heat. Um, but it would also kind of block up those disturbances that are out in the West and kind of gear them more towards the Northern Plains, more into the Canadian prairies, but um, not really bringing them through the Corn Belt. It's uh, definitely a concern to be considered. Um, uh, but again, models are not consistent on any of this uh, right now. So we're just going to have to keep on watching it. Um, but you know, ah, dang, it's, it's, it's trending away from where I was hoping it would trend. Honestly, I was hoping for a lot more of these, uh, disturbances to move through the country. Um, but you know, if this, this ridge kind of closes the door across the Midwest, it's going to be a lot more difficult for, for those things to do that. John, now that, that ridge, the dryness and expansion of drought over the central part of the U S that would be pretty well in keeping with a move to El Nino, wouldn't it? Um, yes and no. Uh, usually when we see it over the central states, that's that's more of a of a uh, La Nina situation. And we saw that the last couple of summers there where it got real hot and dry across the middle of the country. Um, usually what we see during El Nino is we see that ridge a little bit more towards the western states. Um, and so, you know, those, those states usually end up hotter in the summertime. And then we kind of get cold fronts to move down through the prairies and then through the, the rest of, of the, uh, the, the Corn Belt. Um, there is a trend on those models, you know, does, does uh, of that moving back towards the Western states here into kind of late June, early July. So hopefully this drier period and, and the, the, the concern we're talking about for next week is a short lived one. <laughs> but, you know, we've seen models change quite a bit um, over the course of the last several weeks. And uh, I, I can only imagine that, that we'll see more changes to them coming up. But the trend should be for that ridge to kind of uh, make its way towards the Western states here uh, for the rest of the summer. I'm, I'm just crossing my fingers on that one. Absolutely. Things to watch. John, real quick, before we let you go, you highlighted the frost risk down in Brazil this week. Has any of that developed? Not yet. And we're uh, the, the, the strongest or the most likely days of that were kind of tomorrow through Thursday mornings. We do have a really strong cold front going through Brazil. Um, it's been producing some showers, which has been good for their their corn down there that's still immature. Uh, there's still a bit of that yet that was planted late, uh, but some cold temperatures moving in behind it. There's still some risk, but the risk is a lot lower. It looks like some of that rain and clouds will stick around for a while yet. So uh, there may be some frost down there yet, but uh, it doesn't look to be a widespread event right now. All right, John. Well, hey, thanks for keeping your eye on the global weather, folks. We've been talking with John Baranek of DTN Weather. John, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me on again, Mike. It's always good to talk to you. And stick around, folks. We'll talk Peter Orwick from the American Sheep Industry Association when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. 
Well, Quart is the upside leader to start off the week on Monday with double-digit gains there, while the rest of the grains as well as livestock trade is relatively mixed. Crude oil's down uh, almost 3% early on Monday's trading session with the stock market relatively quiet as it is Fed Week on Wall Street. We're going to be waiting to see if there is another interest rate hike or not here later in the week. Now, in the case of the grain markets, and especially in corn, trading higher overnight and into the morning hours after weekend rains left a little bit to be desired by many folks in the trade as rain only fell in select areas of the Corn Belt. Uh, but areas that did receive rain did get a healthy amount. Now, this much-talked-about pattern shift to a more El Nino-type weather pattern did definitely start to happen over the weekend, but it's going to take a little bit of time before we can get some more rains to really help out the drought conditions, and we're going to be watching the updated weather forecast to see when the next round of widespread rainfall will happen here, possibly later on in the week. Soybeans trading a bit higher early have backed off some, weren't able to keep up with the gains in corn, dry to some of the weekend. It's definitely been a bullish factor, but beans could wait a little bit longer for rain before it becomes an issue. Malaysian May palm oil stocks rose to 1.69 metric tons from 1.5 in April, which has been a main pressure for lower soybean oil as of late. Wheat trades mixed with Chicago, Minneapolis. Uh, they've been trading higher. KC lagging, though, as weather, Russia, and small changes in the WASD have affected prices. Over in livestock, traders showing a little bit of caution to start the week in cattle and hogs. Feeder cattle being pressured lower by corn moving higher on the day. Let's check in the markets. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues today, and we're going to talk about the sheep industry here in just a moment. But before I do, we've got an interesting approval last week from the USDA. It was announced on Wednesday that Bayer has received approval from the USDA for their genetically modified short-statured corn. Now, the USDA approval is pretty simple. All they are saying is that this crop can be safely grown and bred in the U.S. Short-statured corn is something that's been under development by a number of folks inside the grain industry and the seed development industry. Bayer's one of those. They're pursuing short stature corn on three different angles. They're doing the GM that just got approved uh, last week. They've also got a conventionally bred short stature corn. That's currently on about 30,000 acres. Bayer says they're going to raise that to about 60,000 acres this year as they continue to push that. And down the line, they'll be looking at releasing a genetically edited short stature crop. All three different in the ways they accomplish that goal of growing a corn stalk that's about two-thirds the height of a conventionally grown stock today. Now, we've reached out to the folks at Bayer. Hopefully, we'll have them on, have this discussion in a little bit greater detail down the line, folks. But let's switch our focus back to the protein market. It's time to pick up the conversation on sheep. Joining us today is Peter Orwick. He's the executive director of the American Sheep Industry Association. And Peter, thanks for making the time to talk with us today. Absolutely glad to do it. Let's kick it off, Peter. If you would give us an overview of things inside the sheep industry, how are prices faring here in this era of inflation? 
our uh, our meat price has been showing some strength as it relates back to the to the live animal actually our our meat prices stayed very strong throughout 21 and 2022 and it just didn't translate to the live animal as well uh, in 2022 so now we're starting to see some some increased demand that hopefully translates uh, back to the feeder lamb and the, and the slaughter lamb. On the wool side, we're still in a rough market situation. As you can imagine, there was so much less need for textile, particularly wool slack suits, sport coats. We really built up a stockpile uh, of wool around the world uh, during the pandemic. So we're still working through that. We're working through it. Peter, that's something I know you and I have talked about in, in a couple of times before on this program, this massive global wool stockpile. We're working through it. Does the industry have a sense as to, to how quickly we're chewing through this stockpile? We uh, we just completed the International Wool Textile Congress. Uh, it was hosted in Japan two weeks ago, and we took all the major wool buyers and traders with us. And unfortunately, we didn't get the sense that there was that much moving very quickly. So um, we're just going to have to be more patient, I think, to to work with it. It's either you know go into storage or accept the price uh, that's out there today. And uh, you know neither one is all that acceptable. Fortunately, we do have the wool marketing loan program. Uh, it's in wide use again this spring through the Farm Service Agency. So that does provide some financial help, uh, particularly if you have to store your wool. Absolutely. It's always nice to have a safety net for a year like this. And I'm I'm curious, Peter, with that challenge last year, the, the rising price that didn't quite translate down to the feeder with the wool market struggles, what are we seeing with the size of the sheep herd here across the, the United States? We did well on the inventory numbers, with the exception of California. Uh, California's uh, lost, uh, I think, nearly nine percent of their of their U inventory, and we put the bulk of that uh, on the input cost of labor. Uh, they, California is the second largest sheep producer. They rely very heavily on the sheep herder uh, program. That's a H2A program that we've had for for 60 plus years and California with their labor model uh, have more than doubled the price, uh, the cost, uh, the salary uh, that the herders receive. And of course, we already provide all the boardroom food uh, that, the, that the herders need. So uh, the biggest trouble they've had is just the, the cost of labor is, is just making it too tight to continue. That makes sense. Across the rest of the country, though, Peter, these rains that have been falling on the plains, do we have some optimism for those sheep producers here across that formerly drought-parched area? Certainly for for the bulk of the country, I'd say at least in the West, the California Springers have had tons of grazing uh, out there. There are spots in Texas where those spring lambs have plenty of feed, other spots that are pretty dry. Uh, the areas that had such a severe winter, uh, Wyoming, Colorado, Utah, and then Nevada, uh, you know, they, they got, they got off the winter feed grounds through shearing and, and, uh, they should be well through most of their lambing, uh, at this point. Uh, so they've dramatically improved their range conditions. I can tell you where it's not good. It's, uh, just visiting with the U.S. Meat Animal Research Center of USDA that, in Clay Center, Nebraska, that is just kind of the epicenter of drought conditions right now. Uh, from there into into areas of, of Kansas, just very tough. It's going to be it's going to be serious by first July if they don't get some uh, some some grass uh, grazing uh, available for them. That's so true. That drought hotspot that's developing across what, eastern Nebraska and then teleconnecting down through Missouri is going to be a concern. Peter, wh- while we're thinking about where prices have been, I'm curious about domestic consumer demand. I remember back during COVID, we we saw some lamb demand slack off as folks left the restaurant world. They had to learn to cook it at home again. Now we're back. We've got restaurants in operation. We've got consumers who have, have maybe gotten acquainted with cooking from home again. How's consumer demand looking here in this country? 
You're exactly right. We uh, we had the white tablecloth fine dining uh, just exist uh, fell <laughs> fell out of place in the pandemic. So uh, fortunately, as you mentioned, the grocery retail end uh, was able to ramp up and 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 get the extra uh, lamb moving uh, through that portion. We shared this with the U.S. House Ag Committee uh, two and a half weeks ago in a hearing. Uh, on the state of the of the livestock business before the pandemic, American lamb consumption, 40% was through fine dining restaurants. Today, it's at 25%. So while it's an improvement, that's still a huge chunk of lamb marketing that hasn't returned uh, to where it was before the pandemic. And so I think that is a reflection uh, of one of the things that the promotion board is going to have to work with until we see the level of dining uh, return. Um, as as you move through the restaurant business, uh, a lot of the, the restaurants seem extremely busy, but I think part of that is uh, that there's just fewer restaurants. So the ones you do go to are busier. That makes sense. And uh, Peter, I'm glad you mentioned uh, you had your executive board member, Lori Hubbard, as you mentioned, testify there at the Review for Animal Ag Holder Stakeholder Priorities. You mentioned that change in consumption habits. What other issues is the sheep industry concerned about uh, from a policy perspective? Well, in addition to discussing the uh, marketing of, of lamb, um, you know, it's an important part of this farm bill, we believe that we'd be very supportive of our promotion program. So we discussed the fact that we have, we voted as an industry twice in the last 20 years, both times overwhelmingly supporting our, our land promotion program. And secondly, animal disease prevention. Uh, the 2018 Farm Bill was, uh, was uh, history making in terms of the funding and creation of programs to to help industry and agriculture food business deal with uh, say foot and mouth disease outbreak in this country. So that's a huge ask of the agriculture committees to help us with the vaccine bank and the laboratories um, for uh, disease prevention and, and management. We also brought up the fact that, uh, that since we do have uh, uh, wool as part of our production chain, there is a presence and has been for decades of wool and cotton in our nation's uh, farm policy. So we have uh, two very specific asks of the agriculture committees regarding uh, wool. In fact, one is a wool and cotton program. So we support uh, the, uh, the wool industry from the farm ranch gate all the way through the manufacturing uh, end of the textile business. That is a long supply chain for that wool industry. Peter, an another issue that I know is on ASI's mind, uh, coming back to lamb, is the potential dumping challenges that the industry's faced over the couple of years. I know this is a work in progress, but could you fill us in on what the industry's working on? We we, we have engaged a uh, international trade firm. They have to be Washington, D.C. based. Uh, they are working on a preliminary investigation uh, currently. Uh, and it's it's on a on a pretty routine basis that these firms are able to provide into industries that are concerned about uh, whether or not imports are on a, on a you know competing on a fair basis. So they are currently looking for any subsidies in the primary uh, production countries such as Australia, New Zealand. Uh, they're also looking at at production prices and the costs of it's being charged for lamb in those home markets and compared to the prices being charged uh, in markets such as the United States. So I would expect you probably have 60 to 90 days uh, for that preliminary to, to show whether there's anything to follow up with in that arena. All right, Peter, well, as that report becomes available, we'll check in and see how the lamb industry is faring around the world. Folks, we've been speaking with Peter Orwick, the executive director of the American Sheep Industry Association. Learn more at sheepusa.org. Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. JBS is exploring building a cultivated meat plant in Spain. We'll have that story when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, 
Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen. It's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track, no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. On the first Wednesday of every month, our friends from the National Corn Growers Association join us here on AOA for a segment we call The Monthly Grind. This month, we talked with Wendy Osborne of Ohio Corn and Ralph Lentz of the U.S. Meat Export Federation Board. Wendy, this partnership between grains and livestock is an important one, isn't it? Yeah, so corn growers recognize that 95% of the world's population lives outside the U.S., so trade is just so important to the U.S. farmer. And American corn farmers want to help increase demand for U.S. beef and pork around the world that in 2021, Beef and pork exports, this is just the exports, Mike, they accounted for 537 million bushels of corn usage, which equates to about $2.94 billion. Ralph, that's a huge figure. What areas around the world look hot for meat exports in 2023? Anything in Asia, Korea, Japan, China, they, they all love our corn-fed beef. That's not duplicated anywhere in the world. Pork products are moving well. They've got a taste of our red meat, and they don't like fish anymore. They're moving more than red meats. Tune in Wednesday, July 5th for the next Monthly Grind on AOA. Did you know that pork is the world's most consumed meat? Pork comprises over one-third of all meat consumed. Pigs were domesticated over 9,000 years ago in 7,000 BC, and there are more than 180 species of pigs. Why pork? Well, it's not just because everybody loves bacon. Historically speaking, pork is a very easy meat to preserve via smoking, curing, or salting. Not only could it keep well before refrigeration, but it also tastes great under various preservation tactics and adaptable to a variety of flavors, spices, and dishes across different cultures and regions. There are twice as many pigs as there are people in Denmark. Did you also know that China is the world's lead pork producer? In 2020, they produced an impressive 41.13 million metric tons of the meat, which equates to almost 91 billion pounds. So the next time you dive into that plate of bacon, know that pork is the world's most consumed meat. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, 
honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues today, and we're going to dig into a story that caught my attention earlier this week. That's the story of a JBS investment over in Europe. If you think back to the just about a month ago, early part of May, JBS, the Brazilian meatpacking company, released their quarterly earnings for the first quarter of 2023, and they suffered a loss, $290 million loss on the back of much higher than expected costs throughout the meat supply chain, namely... They were paying a lot more for finished beef than they had anticipated paying when the year got started. So that's the setup. JBS, after three years, loses money for the first time in a quarter. In the meantime, their, one of their reasons for losing money was the challenge created by the lack of supply, the, the lack of beef animals and pork in, in some instances that drove those prices up. Well, JBS is looking out long-term. They're diversifying away from some of that risk, and they announced late last week that in partnership with Biotech Foods, which is a European startup that JBS bought 51% of last year, Biotech Foods has announced that they will be building their first commercial-scale cultivated meat plant in Spain. So this is an alternative protein type. This won't be alternative meats created from plant proteins like we've got with the Impossible Burgers and, and those types of alt meat products that have really surged and then waned in popularity here during uh, since the COVID pandemic. This is cultivated meat. So this is the type of meat where tissues, uh, uh, cells are taken from the animal. They're grown in a Petri dish. And then at the end of that growing process, in theory, you have edible meat. This facility that JBS is partnering with Biotech Foods to build will be the largest cultivated meat facility in the UK, or excuse me, in Europe. And they hope to produce as much as a thousand metric tons of cultivated beef per year at the beginning. They're building the plant so that it can scale up to as much as 4,000 metric tons of cultivated meat per year. Now, this is still a long way away. JBS bought this uh, share in biotech back in 2021. They spent $100 million to do it, and $41 million of that 100 was directly specifically at building this facility. So it's very likely that we'll see this facility uh, move forward, and it's entirely possible we could see this largest cultivated meat facility in Europe up and running here by the middle part of 2024, if everything moves ahead as plant. Over in Europe, we're continuing to see ramifications of the Russia-Ukraine war, not just in the countries immediately next to Ukraine, Poland, Hungary, uh, Slovakia. Those countries have all seen an influx of Ukrainian grain that has been blocked from moving through the ports. It has driven down the price of grain commodities in those surrounding countries, and many of them have put blockades in place to prevent uh, Ukraine grain from moving in. More concern about that from Poland, or excuse me, from Ukraine towards Poland, as the Ukraine Ukrainians say the Polish farmer supports that that government put in place to combat the lower grain prices in country are not in line with WTO rules. And the country of Ukraine is asking the Poles to reconsider those before they potentially file a challenge under the World Trade Organization. That's just one place we're seeing Ukrainian war impacts. There are some even happening a little closer to home, just north of the United States in Canada. Following the Russian invasion of Ukraine, the Canadian government exempted many uh, Ukrainian products from Canadian tariffs. It granted tariff-free access to the Canadian market for Ukrainian goods, notably Ukrainian agricultural goods. Those tariff exemptions have now been rescinded. Most tariff-free access to Ukrainian goods into Canada remains. However, on Friday, Canada updated it, and they said they are tightening access for eggs, poultry, and dairy. Of course, those are the three sectors in Canada that are protected under domestic supply management system. Now, it's worth noting that uh, as far as the Canadian government can tell, none of those goods made it into Canada under this uh, no-tariff 
import program from Ukraine. In fact, according to the Canadian Finance Department, the only Ukrainian goods that were shipped from Ukraine into Canada under this program were one $6,000 shipment of ice cream. So Canada tightening things up, but not expecting to see too much of an impact on the ground. However, there is an impact on the ground over in China. Folks, if we can think back, back in March, the country of Brazil reported an atypical BSE case. Atypical, it was not in the food chain, it was just a, a random occurrence of BSE, but it shut down exports into the country of China. Now that was back in March and April. Country, uh, the, the exports from Brazil to China have now resumed. The country was able to get that opened up after they showed that it was an atypical case. However, there were some shipments of beef from Brazil sent to China just before that BSE case was announced. When those shipments made it to China, the Chinese government clamped down, said we are not going to move these until we get confirmation as to what this case is. Of course, now we know it's atypical, blah, 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 and shipments have resumed. However, 70,000 metric tons of Brazilian beef is still sitting on the Chinese ports waiting for something to happen to it. Folks, just to put this in perspective, a standard 40-foot shipping container holds about 30 tons of fresh and frozen beef. We're talking about 70,000 tons, which means across China's ports, and these are, aren't all in one location, they're scattered across the country, there are 2,300 containers of Brazilian beef sitting in the Chinese sun waiting for something to happen. Chinese, uh, excuse me, Brazilian government, Ignacio Lula da Silva, called the Chinese uh, government last week and said, hey, we need to see something happen here. We need to see some progress. So far, the Chinese have not responded as of yet. Early on in the program, we talked with Darren Newsom about what's moving in the markets, and he highlighted the weather uh, situation that is certainly giving some fire to the grain markets right now. But he also talked about the broader macroeconomic factors that could have an impact. Tomorrow, on Tuesday, we'll get the most up-to-date CPI numbers at measure of inflation. And on Wednesday and Thursday, we'll see the Federal Reserve get together and we'll learn whether or not they'll be hiking interest rates one more time. We did get a piece of interesting news early on Monday morning. And this is U.S. business activity. This has obviously been fluctuating since the COVID pandemic, but it climbed by the most in over a year this month, potentially providing some optimism about the economy. Folks, tune in to AOA tomorrow. We'll talk tractors with Casey Seymour of Moving Iron. We'll see you then. Have a great day, everybody. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Get on board. The water is open. It's time to go boating and fishing and leave stress in our wake. Feel the wind as we ride and a fish on the line. Reel in our first catch and feel the sun at our backs. It's get out on the water season. It's time to get on board. Find out where to get on board near you. Visit Take Me Fishing and Discover Boating to learn more. And please recreate responsibly. Get on board. Get on board. Put a frog in boiling water and it'll jump right out. But put a frog in cool water and slowly heat it up, that frog will boil. As veterans, we tell ourselves the lie that we can handle anything. We let the water boil. You are not a frog. If you or a veteran you know needs support, don't wait. Reach out. Find resources at va.gov slash reach. That's va.gov slash reach. Brought to you by the United States Department of Veterans Affairs and the Ad Council. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too to be a beacon of strength, a champion of courage, an advocate for hope. You are not alone because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. win. We, we, we are, are the, the Foundation, foundation Fighting, fighting Blindness. Blindness.
Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org.